Welcome to The Odo Approach, a podcast created by medical students for medical students to teach you about all things ENT. I'm your host, Katie, and today we're going to be joined by Dr. Christopher Chin. Dr. Chin attended medical school in London, Ontario at Western University and completed his residency at Western as well. He has a fellowship in rhinology, anterior skull-based surgery, and head and neck oncology from the University of Toronto. He has been a practicing otolaryngologist in St. John since 2016 and is currently an assistant professor within the division of otolaryngology head and neck surgery at Dalhousie University. Dr. Chin has published over 30 peer-reviewed articles and is actively involved in the research and medicine program at Dalhousie University, as well as the Emergencies in Otolaryngology Bootcamp. He's the current vice chair in the Canadian Society of Otolaryngology Rhinology Working Group. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Chin. Thanks for having me. So we're hoping to hear a bit about your career in otolaryngology, specifically in the subspecialty of rhinology. Could you tell us a little bit about what rhinologists do? Sure. So a rhinologist is somebody who focuses on uh, the pathology that affects the nose and paranasal sinuses. So that can be anything from nasal obstruction to pathology called chronic rhinosinusitis, which basically makes people feel like they have a cold all day, every day. And that that's a pretty common condition. So that makes up kind of the bulk of what uh, what we do in rhinology. There's also the second part of that, which is the anterior skull base surgery. And that basically refers to addressing problems that affect the brain and the pituitary gland, particularly that portion of the brain that is accessible through the nose and sinuses. So that's the anterior skull base. So when I did my fellowship, that was a, uh, a big focus. That's kind of the rhinology side of things. Okay, thank you. That definitely provides some insight for our listeners. In terms of patient presentations and procedures, what would you say is the bread and butter of your specialty? Well, we are in a unique center in St. John. We don't, as somebody who has a fellowship, my practice is skewed towards that. So I do the, uh, as I was mentioning, the rhinology and the, the anterior skull base stuff. But I also do kind of general otolaryngology and the other aspects, the other parts of of otolaryngology. So the true bread and butter parts of of otolaryngology would be tubes and tonsils, um, typically in the pediatric population for hearing issues or recurrent ear infections and and sleep apnea. So so that's kind of the the common. that's a very common pathology and procedure that we would do. The other ones would be septoplasty. So that's straightening the nose, um, just so somebody can breathe better through their nose, as well as thyroid surgery. So thyroid surgery is pretty common now for the otolaryngologist to do. Um, so that's that's another thing that would be considered pretty pretty standard, pretty, I guess, bread and butter. The other, the other thing would be skin cancers. Um, so a lot of Across Canada, otolaryngology has really taken a, a role in managing a lot of that, uh, skin cancers that affect the head and neck area. So those are things that are pretty common that we see on a, a regular basis, specifically with rhinology, endoscopic sinus surgery for the treatment of chronic rhinosinusitis would be a very common thing to do. And that's something that I do basically on a 
on a weekly basis in the operating room. Okay. So even within the more common procedures in your practice, there's still a lot of variety. Are there any procedures or patient presentations that you think are most interesting in this specialty? Yeah. So for me, I mean, the the reason that you do a fellowship is so that you have that, I guess, expertise in managing the, the complex patients. So most otolaryngologists across Canada are going to do some sinus surgery, but with the fellowship, it allows me to do things that are a little bit tougher and maybe the patient who's had three or four prior surgeries and still having symptoms, those are the ones that then get sent to me and and that's where I can help them with. I guess the other ones would be if if somebody had a tumor in the sinuses, those are also challenging cases and those are ones that I can usually be useful for. And then lastly, the, uh, the pituitary pathology. So when people have pathology or tumors in the pituitary gland, just to recap, the pituitary gland is basically in the middle of your head and it's a very small gland in a very tight location. And if you get any pathology there, it can cause significant issues. So it can compress the optic nerve, it can cause vision issues, it can affect hormone output. If it gets big enough, it can start to squish the brain. So it's it can cause significant issues. And the easiest and typically the best way to get there is actually through the sinuses. So when patients present with this type of pathology, I'm often asked to be involved in those cases at our center. And those are uh, cases that I enjoy doing with the assistance of neurosurgery. So you tend to enjoy the more elaborate cases where you can really apply your fellowship training. So one big question that medical students often have is, what is your life like in the run of a week? Sure. My week is very variable. Every week is a little bit different. Generally, I'm going to be in my outpatient clinic or my outpatient office probably anywhere from one to three days a week. I'm usually in the hospital clinic where we have a minor procedure room. I'm probably there once a week on average. And then I'm usually operating anywhere from one to three days a week. There's a huge amount of variety. So this past week, I was operating one and a half days in the operating room. This week coming up, it's another two and a half days. And it really fluctuates depending on what the week is, what OR time is available, and if I'm doing any collaborative cases. So for instance, this past week, I was doing a pituitary tumor that was relatively urgent. So that that came in and we had to do that. So that was half a day there where I was doing that with the neurosurgeon. This week coming up, it's mostly advanced sinus cases and head and neck cancer cases. But again, there's another half day where I'm collaborating with one of my other colleagues for some other cancer cases that he's doing. So there's there's a huge variety there. I'm on call once a week and then every fourth week, I'm on call Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it works out. Obviously, I'm on call every fourth day on average. And our call is is relatively good most of the time. But 
when we get called in, it's usually for something emergent. There's not a lot of things that we get called in for that we don't have to go in because we are the kind of masters of the airway. So if someone's calling in, it's usually because there's an airway emergency or there's some sort of serious pathology affecting the the head or neck, like a, a penetrating trauma or a severe nosebleed or something like that. So usually if we get called in, it's something that we actually have to go in relatively quickly for. So that's the the call side of things. But overall, it's a it's a very balanced schedule. We do a fair amount of clinic, but we also operate a fair amount. So it's a good kind of mix of the two. I think that variety keeps it interesting. Right. And I think that variety is something that tends to draw people to ENT in general. So I noticed that you said you collaborate with some of the other physicians within the hospital on cases. What's your role in these scenarios? That's a great question. The collaborative side of things is probably one of my favorite parts of of my job. And there's a lot of ways that otolaryngology is involved with different specialties. So for the pituitary in particular and the skull base, just to recap, the, the pituitary is a gland basically in the middle of the head. And classically, that has fallen under the domain of neurosurgery from a surgical standpoint. But we've realized that the best way to get to it is through the sinuses, because the pituitary is just superior and posterior to the sphenoid sinus. So instead of making big cuts on the head and going like lifting up the brain and stuff like that, we've realized that you can go through the sinuses and reach the pituitary gland much quicker and and typically much, much safer. So generally, the the best person to get to the pituitary gland is otolaryngologist who has a fellowship in skull-based training. So that's where my role is. And these patients are typically seen in our pituitary clinic where they're assessed by a neurosurgeon and they're assessed by an endocrinologist. They will get worked up from a hormone standpoint, and they will also have visual field testing ordered because the pituitary gland sits right underneath the optic chiasm. So pathology there can affect the visual fields. And then if the patient is deemed that they need surgery, then that's when I get involved and help kind of with that side of things. The other kind of collaborative things that I do on a regular basis. So as part of my fellowship, the other half of my fellowship was head and neck cancer. And we did a lot of ultrasound guided biopsies. So that's kind of a unique thing where I have some kind of extra training using the ultrasound for biopsying masses in the neck and in the thyroid. So some of my colleagues, if they have a thyroid nodule and they want me to assess it, um, they're you know they're very capable, obviously, of doing a biopsy themselves if they can feel it, and capable of managing a thyroid nodule. But for the biopsy specific, using an ultrasound, that's where I can be helpful. So that's another example. A third example would be for our head and neck cancer cases. If we have big tumors that need a reconstruction, we work very closely with plastic surgery. We do these cases on a not insignificant frequency as well, where somebody will have a big tumor typically involving the tongue or the floor of mouth or some other part of the the head or sometimes the, the larynx, and it needs to be resected. But you can't just leave 
nothing there. You have to rebuild it. And in a lot of centers in across Canada, otolaryngology actually does the reconstruction as well. And I, you know, depending on who you talk to, that is fantastic. As part of my training in London, I we did a lot of free flap reconstruction and a lot of head and neck cancer reconstruction. But in a center like St. John, it makes the most sense for us to work closely with our plastic surgery colleagues who who have experience doing this. So we uh, we rely on them and uh, and that's a great um, a great experience as well getting them involved and they they do the reconstructions for us. I guess the last thing I would just mention is we're recently starting another collaborative clinic uh, myself and one of the respirologists looking specifically at very severe sinus pathology because si- chronic sinusitis is essentially the same disease as asthma except it's just in a different part of the airway so we're working very closely or i'm going to be working very closely with him in respirology and we're going to be managing these severe sinus patients okay so it definitely seems like there are a lot of opportunities to collaborate with other professionals so of course within canada there are lots of different practice styles depending on the type of center you're located at how would you say rhinology differs in larger centers versus community centers? That's a very good question. So I guess the first thing I would say is my location, my center is very unique across Canada. So I'm in St. John, New Brunswick, and we are kind of what I refer to as pseudo-community, but also pseudo-academic, meaning that we have clerks, we have elective students, and we have residents, but we don't have them all the time. So while we do have that academic aspect of things, we're not doing it kind of full-time like some of the other academic centers across Canada. The other aspect of that is in terms of what we actually do and operate. So I kind of break down the centers into kind of smaller community centers, larger academic centers, and then I would put St. John, New Brunswick in the middle there. The smaller community centers, the otolaryngologists generally are going to do a wide variety of cases across pretty much all the different facets of otolaryngology, but they're generally not going to do the more advanced or complex cases. So they're going to do from pediatrics, they would do tubes and tonsils. From head and neck oncology side of things, they might do hemithyroidectomy, maybe parathyroidectomy or maybe parotidectomy, the occasional neck dissection. From rhinology, they're going to do septoplasties and basic sinus surgery, typically. From facial plastics, they might do some skin cancer excisions and that sort of stuff. And then if you go to the flip side of that, to an academic center, most of the people working in those centers, like London, Toronto, Halifax, Edmonton, those those physicians are going to work almost exclusively in their own domain. So if you're a head and neck cancer surgeon, you're just doing head and neck cancer usually, or at least 90 to 95% of your practice is just head and neck cancer. Similarly, if you're a rhinologist or a skull base surgeon, that's really all you see. Um, again, on call, you might see the occasional neck abscess or something like that, but the vast majority of your practice is going to be just rhinology. Not only are you going to just see rhinology, but you're going to see 
the full spectrum of that. So you're going to see the basic sinus stuff sometimes, although a lot of the times the the academic centers kind of get the their pathology is skewed more significantly to the complex disease. So for instance, in my fellowship, in my rhinology fellowship, the vast majority of the surgeries I was doing was revision sinus surgery. It was very rare for me to do just a basic virgin or primary sinus case because most of the time those are done in the community and if they have issues or ongoing problems then they get sent to the tertiary center my practice kind of falls in between so like i had kind of alluded to i i do these complex sinus cases and the pituitary cases i do these big head and neck cancer resections and reconstructions but then i'm also doing the basic and kind of more general side of laryngology as well. So I, I do do the occasional tonsillectomy. I do the occasional set of tubes. Uh, I do very little ear surgery. That's just a um, kind of a quirk in my practice because everything has been shifted more towards the rhinology and head and neck cancer side of things. But I, I still do some general otolaryngology. Right. Okay. So definitely some differences depending on whether you're working in a larger city or a community center. So another question that, again, a lot of medical students have when talking to physicians is, in your opinion, what are the pros and cons of a career in rhinology? Sure. So I think, you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm a laryngologist, but there's a lot of pros about this type of career. So it's a very diverse specialty. I think that's the the thing that a lot of people will will say about laryngology. You don't, you're not doing the same thing over and over again. If you look at a, an OR list that I have, I may do, like I was saying, a set of tubes, and then I may do a tonsillectomy, and then I may go do a thyroidectomy for cancer or airway obstruction or something. And then I may go do like a pituitary tumor. So it's a very, very diverse specialty, and it allows you a lot of flexibility. I think the ability to see a patient, diagnose pathology, and then treat it right away or in the very near future with surgery is something that is very rewarding. It's not something where you, for most of the conditions we see, you're not going to say, okay, we'll try this medication and I'll, you know, hopefully it'll help you. But usually if we're seeing it, there's, there's often a structural thing that we can, we can address with surgery. And, and that's obviously something that is very attractive as a surgeon. The other kind of pros would be we have a uh, relatively good work life balance. So I would say that in terms of surgical specialties, our call is is relatively good for the most part. It's not like when we're on call, we're there every night, which is good. The other things that are good about it would be that in terms of the pathology that we see, while we do see a lot of serious pathology, we also do a lot of quality of life stuff too. And that can be kind of nice to work on somebody and just improve their breathing or their their sleep or their hearing. That can be very rewarding. And, and those patients actually are sometimes the happiest patients. They went into surgery not being able to hear or not being able to breathe or smell. And they wake up and that ability is back again. So that is very rewarding to be able to do that. I guess the, uh, the last thing that I would say is um, the ability to collaborate with different specialties is, I would say, a very big draw to the specialty. I would say that's a big pro. It's a very 
like I said, a very diverse specialty, and that affords these these different opportunities. There are drawbacks. So being a surgical specialist, you are limited by your operating room availability. So that does impact where you can work. There's just not unlimited OR resources across Canada. So I hate to kind of bring up the the job side of things, but I think it is important to know and consider when you're considering this career that you have to be flexible. For instance, I'm not I'm not actually from New Brunswick. I'm from Ontario and this job opportunity when we were looking for a job, this really gave me the best opportunity to be able to use my my fellowship and to kind of work in this environment that I wanted but I had to move across the country for it. And I think it's really important to keep that in mind. And the other thing that I would say is that we do do call. So while it's not overly onerous the majority of the time, in fact, I'm on call right now and haven't had any issues since we started talking, you still have to do that side of things. And that does obviously impact your quality of life when you know, it's always better to not be on call than to be on call. So you just have to keep that in mind that as a surgical specialist, typically you are going to be doing some call. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. It's always great to hear from a specialist about what the good things are and what the bad things are, because, you know, every specialty is going to have the good and bad. It's just good to be aware of those things, especially as a medical student. So we're kind of coming to an end here, but we've got one last question for you. The team was kind of wondering if you could go back in time and have a chat with yourself as a medical student, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So I would say the advice that I give all that I would give myself and that I give all my medical students that, that work with me and shadow me is to uh, to try to figure out what you want to do as early as possible. So Unfortunately, the way that our medical system works, you're kind of forced to decide relatively early in the grand scheme of things what you want to do or what you want to be when you grow up. So you have to, and you have to start kind of positioning yourself towards that career earlier. Uh, I guess the sooner, the better, typically. And that, and that can be challenging because if you go into medical school and you really have no idea, you know, one approach would be to just wait until you do clerkship and kind of see everything. The problem with that is, is if you go into clerkship and you decide, oh, wow, I really love otolaryngology or urology or plastics or whatever, or something else, anesthesia or emergency medicine, you're a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to your peers. Um, because some of the competitive specialties, or a lot of the competitive specialties, including otolaryngology, require you to have kind of jumped through certain hoops. And what I mean by that is when people are applying for it, medical students have often done a little bit of research. They've often shadowed people from different centers. They have kind of some reference letters starting to to get um, ready. And the sooner you can kind of get on that, I think the, the better positioned you are. The way that I usually recommend doing this is just spending time with people in the field. So I know in St. John, the first and second year students usually have the opportunity to shadow physicians for a semester or two semesters. And and I think that that's a great opportunity just to see what it's like 
what a day in the in the life is like or not a day i guess i guess you know a semester in life basically and you get to kind of see the different facets of the specialty and decide whether that is something that you want to do but further to that that gives you very good exposure to a physician who hopefully will become like a, a mentor and can kind of help give you some guidance and advice about about the specialty and whether it's something that you want to pursue that also usually will open up research opportunities so i've i've worked with a handful of medical students here now since i've been in st john and a lot of them that have spent time with me have ended up doing some research with me and i've also been uh, i guess fortunate enough to be able to send them to different parts across canada to spend time and do electives and um, shadow different physicians and colleagues and friends that I that I know and that I've worked with in the past. So, and I think that that's been beneficial for them. I I hope it has been. Anyways, obviously that changes a little bit with COVID, but but hopefully in the near future is something that will kind of um, return again. All right. Thanks so much, Dr. Chin, and thank you to everyone that tuned in. Make sure to check out our next interview and please fill out the survey on our website. See you next time.